Hey guys, sports betting season is in full force. NHL and NBA playoffs, we enjoyed those, and now football season is here. You need a sports book with integrity and longevity like BetUS. You may already know this, but BetUS has been pioneers in the sports book industry for almost three decades, thriving and paying their loyal customer base. That is BetUS.com, and they have loads of bonuses. Join now or call 800-69-BETUS. That is 800-MYBETUS. US, you can receive a 125% sign-up bonus by using the bonus code SST125. That's SST125. They have re-up and referral bonuses also. BetUS is known as America's favorite sports book for a lot of reasons. No matter what the season, BetUS has all the games, NBA, NHL, team, player props, loads of NFL and college plays, whether futures or individual game odds. You can bet UFC matches and props, PGA golf, golf and round matchups and live betting on most sports including golf. The online casino has hundreds of games and the race book has all your horse tracks. They have every bet type imaginable and the Sharp Bet US mobile platform is easy with full betting options. Follow my lead and partner with a sports betting company with integrity and longevity like I did. Bet US. You bet, you win, you get paid. Bet US. In the South, it's always college football season. And the king of college football reigns supreme all year long. Now more college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Hour two of the Chuck Oliver Show on a Friday, and it starts right now. John Talty, AL.com, going to join us, and we will cover two of the the few games in the SEC this weekend. I don't have any complaints. Again, this is an SEC schedule that includes the likes of Charleston Southern, New Mexico State, Prairie View, A&M, Tennessee State, etc. cetera. Uh, but there are a few conference games, and two of them are Arkansas at Alabama and then Auburn traveling to South Carolina. So we'll talk to John Talty, and then at the bottom of the hour – the flip side of that latter game, uh, Auburn in Columbia taking on the Gamecocks. We'll talk to our friend Heath Klein. Uh, again, that is going to be the bottom of this hour. But right now, we'll get you up to date. Everything you need to know about college football every single day. This is CFB 365. Ed Ogeron. Wow. I continue to give him credit. Headline. Ogeron. Doubts Nussmeyer will play. That is from last night's radio show. Actually, I guess two nights ago, maybe. Um, asked if Garrett Nussmeyer would get any snaps versus Louisiana Monroe. He referenced the redshirt year. This is a co- coach who's not going to be the coach anymore. And he said it makes sense to not play Garrett Nussmeyer in these final two weeks to preserve the red shirt for someone else. Is that a big luncheon banquet thing one time? And Lee Corso was telling a story about uh, when he was the head coach at Indiana. And then he was the head coach. Uh, he coached in pro football, et cetera. And so he's going through all of these, these stories. And someone asked him, so they were taking some questions. And someone asked him about redshirting players as a head coach. What you know? What was his opinion of that? He kind of looked at him and said, redshirting for who? The, the next guy here? And it was this big joke. He's like, what do you mean red, 
redshirting so that like the guy who comes in after I get fired, uh, he has a better player. That's what Ed Ogeron's doing. He says for the good of the program. He's like, for the good of Nussmeyer, give him an extra year. He's like, yes, at least have the option. He could play 10 to 12 snaps or 15 or 30 snaps this weekend and next. Or he could have maybe an entire season. They can make all the difference in the world to either Nussmeyer or LSU or wherever he's playing. We know what's what's what. So good for him. Headline. UNC adds four-star receiver. That would be North Carolina football. Four-star wide receiver Andre Green Jr. committed to North Carolina over Clemson and Georgia. How about that? There's a kid out of Richmond, Virginia. Again, big-time recruit. Top 75 prospect. And now he is committed. Headline. And this is, uh, I would expect this to be wrapped up at some point soon. Like within the next, I don't know, 12 or 24 hours. I saw this headline this morning. This is uh, my friend Barrett Lee. Michigan, and then, by the way, the writers don't write the headlines most often. Michigan State attempting to sign Coach Mel Tucker to massive 10-year contract extension. Now, that is per a report in the Detroit Free Press, but I will say if that headline is accurate, then, then I got another headline, the contract signed. If Michigan State is attempting to sign Mel Tucker to a massive 10-year deal, Mel Tucker's going to sign the massive 10-year deal. That is known as the getting is good. Head coach at LSU, that'd be better. I don't know if that's on the table for him. Finally, and this is something that I don't know if if or how much it would play, how much it will affect anything over the next couple of weeks or at any point in the rest of this season. However, it's important to me, and there's a small a little bit of a, of like, a small point to be made here. Headline, Ohio State reinstates quarterback Miller after suspension. All right, well, who is this guy and what did he get suspended for? He's a backup quarterback. His name is Jack Miller. And he was suspended for an impaired driving arrest. He did this. He admitted that. He had whatever counseling, paid this fee, did whatever, and he got reduced to a misdemeanor. And now after he completed his part of it, it's completely disappeared from the record. So Ohio State looked around and was like, there, well, there's nothing on the record, so there's nothing here for him to be. All right, come on back. I'm glad that this is not a case. It could be Ohio State or Arizona State. I don't care. Texas Tech, whomever. I'm glad that there is a story where a program looked around for a kid who's not a superstar and immediately important to the team and was said, it's a college kid, did something he really should not have done, but – he completed steps X, Y, and Z, and society has let him back. So, you know what? We will, too. That's not always the case in big-time college athletics when folks want to shine a light on it, and I understand that. I'm glad in this case there's a program said, well, it kind of played itself out. No harm, no foul. Come on back. Consider yourself up to date. We will break. Continue next. King of college football, no matter where you go, with a new Southern Sports Today app. Catch the best college football conversation in the South everywhere with the SST live stream and daily podcast. Download it now at the App Store and the Google Play Store. Now, more of the best college football talk in the country. It's the Chuck Oliver Show. Oh, we 
week, all year. It's all college football on the Chuck Oliver Show. Nine states, 55 sticks. Appreciate everybody making that blessing possible. In a in SEC weekend uh, that a lot of folks are looking at going, mm, not much going on there. State Alabama is doing full business. Uh, Alabama hosts Arkansas in the afternoon, and then in the evening, Auburn travels to Columbia, South Carolina, take on the Gamecocks. And what I said, for better or worse, might be as competitive and nip and tuck potentially as there is. I want to welcome on now from AL.com. It is John Talty. John, how you doing, amigo? Great. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, thank you for making time today. Arkansas at Alabama, bottom line, what's the threat level from the Hogs? Great question. I, I think it's probably medium. You know, I think and yesterday, yesterday night, excuse me, you know, Nick Saban, I think was kind of hinting at some of the threat level there and just that, you know, he's stressed to his team that this is a hard physical team and that, you know, they better be ready to play. And I think we've seen some, some challenges with Alabama throughout this season of, you know, being able to kind of match the physicality of some of these teams. So I think, you know, we go into this game expecting Alabama to win. I think you can expect Alabama to win, you know, pretty much every game they go into and usually you'll be right. But I think that they, you know, they might pose a test. And I think that you know, they, this Alabama team really has not done a great job of really putting teams away. And so I could see this Arkansas team at a minimum hanging around Alabama and, and probably giving some fans uh, some concern late in the game. I said earlier in the season by Alabama standards, and then I would say something about the offensive line coming up short. It's not even by Alabama standards. They have some Saturdays where it's just an issue if you're a college football team. They don't protect. Yeah, and I think there's kind of a, a dual concern there, and it's the offensive line is just not up to the usual, like you said, usual standard for Alabama, and it's not, you know, one of the the better offensive lines in the SEC. There's some pure talent there. You know, Evan Neal is probably going to be a top three or top five pick in the NFL draft this year, but as a whole, they have not been very good. And so then you combine that with the fact that Alabama's, you know, running back depth is not where it's been in the past. They, you know, have lost a lot of guys to injuries. And there's not the pure talent that they've had in the past either. Brian Robinson is a fine running back, but he's nowhere near the level of a Najee Harris, a Damian Harris, a Josh Jacobs, all these guys that have been through in the past. And you know, we're on the same team at various points. And so I think when you don't have an elite running back and you don't have an elite offensive line, you've seen the problems in which they can't really establish the run. And then that offensive line is getting worked and forcing Bryce Young to have to run much more than he's probably comfortable doing. And that's kind of the situation they've found themselves in. And I think when you think big picture as to how this team could play if they make the SC championship, that's kind of the number one concern I have is just how they would fare against that, you know, dominant uh, defensive front that Georgia has. Any chance that this will not be a lost season for Jaleel Billingsley? Uh, it certainly seems like it's headed that direction. And I think, you know, if you look at just the comments that Nick Saban has made publicly, it's certainly been very disappointed in what Billingsley brings to the table. You know, he has had, uh, you know, some really bad drops during games. And I think that's really frustrated Saban and, and just hasn't led to much trust there of course there were some issues earlier in the season as well and so I mean he entered the season as a guy that people you know picked as one of the you know top two or so tight ends in the SEC big expectations people thought he could be you know like a top three or four round uh, draft pick and it just hasn't come together you know there's he's just not a guy that they really trust and I think it's 
you know, one of those challenges again is that, you know, they, this Alabama offense does not have the weapons anywhere close to what they had a year ago. And Billingsley was supposed to be one of those guys that had a big role and it just hasn't happened. And I, you know, you can hope that that switch is eventually going to flip, but given how far we are into the season, I, I don't have much confidence that it will. What are you expecting from Tank, uh, excuse me, from TJ Finley tomorrow night in Columbia? Well, you know, a year ago, uh, had success against South Carolina, was able to, you know, win uh, when he was plugged into having to start for LSU. So I think there's some, some things that you expect him to do well. You know, he's a, a bigger kid than Bo Nix. I think you, know, you expect him to, you know, probably has a, a better arm than Bo, but you know, he when he's come in at times in the past, you know, outside of that Georgia State game, you know, it's not necessarily been the most consistent quarterback. So I think it's a big question mark, and I think it's a really big opportunity for T.J. Finley. Not that he's going to be the guy necessarily uh, moving forward if they win, but I think it's an opportunity for him to, you know, start putting together that resume, start putting together that argument that, like, I should be the guy moving forward. And so we know Bo Nix is out for the year, and, you know, if he if T.J. is able to do some good things against South Carolina and then, of course, the following week against Alabama and the Iron Bowl, you know, maybe that gives him some momentum and turns it into more of a, you know, quarterback battle uh, in spring and then next fall. Uh, because, you know, we had a story earlier this week on AL.com that, like, they've been splitting up those one reps between Bo Nix and T.J. Finley much more closely than I think the outside world realize so there's an opportunity for this to you know have a bigger impact uh, not just for this week but also maybe long term as well wrapping up with john talty from al.com last saturday in jordan hair that was a a bad loss but against a good opponent bad loss but against a good opponent uh, this would just be a bad loss bad 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 i don't even care if it's on the road um it I, my opinion this would seriously change the tenor like the entire feel of this first season from brian harson yeah, and I, I would argue that I think it already has been changed because of that Mississippi State loss. You know, I think that was one of those games that you, know, you really kind of need to feel good heading into the offseason. But I agree with you. To lose to South Carolina, and again, who knows what can happen in the Iron Bowl, but you at least assume that they're going to lose to Alabama in the Iron Bowl. So to lose, you know, on this four-game losing streak, Texas A&M, Mississippi State, South Carolina, and then Alabama would really put a damper on anything that he had built earlier in the year. And so when you couple that with the fact that they are, I think, ranked number 12 right now in terms of recruiting in the SEC, you know, it makes it even harder mm-hmm. to get any recruiting momentum. And so I think you would start seeing some issues. I think there's already some disappointment. You know, some of the Auburn fans that I've talked to, I think we're, you know, we're feeling good heading into that Mississippi State game. And by the end of it, we're kind of like, you know, pretty bummed out. And we're kind of questioning some of the decisions that were made especially, you know, the lack of defensive adjustments in the second half. So I think this is an important game. It's a game you expect to win. uh, But also I think it kind of can calm some of the concerns that might already be bubbling up a bit right now in in Auburn. Uh, Who's going to kick? And what do you know about him? (laughs) I mean, it's kind of amazing that you have to go back. I think it's eight years now where they didn't have a Carlson kicking. And it's something that I think Auburn fans have basically, you know, taken for granted that they're going to have a really good kicker as plenty of other teams around the sec have not had that so you know they've they've got two guys that i that i think are going to get an opportunity we'll see you know what uh what they're able to do i don't know if anybody really has you know full knowledge as outside of the coaches i guess as to what they're capable of but just even little things i mean the fact that auburn very rarely outside of you know mississippi state game when carlson i think was banged up but you know is able to kick it into for 
touchback pretty much every time. You know, like those are things that they've just taken for granted. And yep. with, you know, some of these young guys that they have that they're going to have to plug in, like you just can't bank on that. So I think it's in, I think it's honestly an underrated injury for Auburn just because of how much they've been able to trust having, you know, a kicker like Anders and before him, his brother Daniel, uh, t- to make those important kicks. Wrapping up, John Talty. John, you have to bet your AL.com pension. Uh, I believe Auburn wins tomorrow, loses the Iron Bowl, if that's the case, if that's how it unfolds. It's a 7-5 and five season. Where does Auburn play its 13th game? Wow, good question. I don't. Well, A, I don't know. I mean, are we getting pensions in journalism anymore? I don't know. I mean, maybe you've got a better deal than I do, John. John, uh, fair, but... fair, fair, fair. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I think there's – that's a good question. I mean, I – I'm not the the greatest uh, bowl um, prognosticator, but I would think it's you know probably one of the middle of the pack bowls. I don't know, probably some, maybe maybe something in Florida. You know, I bet there were a couple middle of the pack bowls in Florida. But I mean, in terms of what the expectations were, it will not be a bowl game that will have anybody super fired up. I can say that at a minimum. Yeah, I don't think Jacksonville the end of December does that for a lot of people. Um, no, it does not. All right, brother, I appreciate you so much, man. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate you. Thanks so much, Chuck. All right, John Talty, Um And I used to – help me, Dan. SEC still has a bowl tie-in with uh, what used to be the Gator Bowl, correct? Yes, they do. Okay. So, yeah, Jacksonville is – believe me, I've had nothing but fun in Jacksonville. Um, but into December for a, a, a Heritage SEC program, it's just not where you want to be. Not at the end of December. That's where George goes in the year where they fired their head coach. Um, for Auburn in a year where you were thinking, all right, legit loss here, legit loss there, but we got a little something, we got an angle here. And then you're thinking, yeah, I really wasn't expecting uh, this to be the destination. What up, Dan? Well, I mean, and the other one too is if nothing else, you're an SEC program, it's the sugar, maybe the Outback Citrus. I mean, Citrus is kind of, you're on the line of a disappointing season, but good enough to not be on the upper tier. So, uh, yeah, I'd probably say that uh, the Tax Slayer Bowl or whatever they're calling it now. I have no idea. Against the ACC, by the way. I know that the the Citrus Bowl or the Florida Citrus Bowl or the whatever the, 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 the Capital One Bowl, the big good bowl in Orlando was because they would, they, had two bowl games so many years. I think the Russell Athletic Bowl was the other one. Um, that Orlando, I know this because I used to vote on a bowl, that Orlando, the bowl there, the Capital One Bowl, was always higher in the pecking order just ahead of Tampa. I've always enjoyed being in Tampa more than Orlando. i got to be honest with you. I've always said, give me sunsets versus sunrises, but also all the craziness of Orlando. Are you out of your mind? It's oh. like God dropped every child on earth right there on I Drive. Give me Krabby Pills. Give me Shepherds, Clearwater, Florida. Let's go. Let me get over there. So um, I, I, it's not as good a bowl, but it's a better bowl destination. See, that's more a little further south and maybe even a rotation bowl. We're playing in, in Miami. Well, it could happen. Uh, but but that is uh, still to be determined if they even win on Saturday. And so a uh, better team, but going on the road in the conference and not a lot of confidence right now. So legit work for Auburn and TJ Finley. Another great weekend ahead in pro and college football. Let's get you a look at the lines brought to you by BetUS. Hi, I'm Dan Matthews, and let's get you ready to win some money. 
Let's start with Ohio State being a huge favorite over Michigan State at home. Buckeyes are giving 19. They are minus 1,200 on the money line. Spartans are plus 750 over under 68 and a half. Clemson hosting Wake Forest and giving four and a hook. Tigers are minus 190 money line. Demon Deacons plus 165. Over under is 56 and a half. Arkansas is at Alabama Crimson Tide favored by 20 and a half. They are minus 1600 money line. Razorbacks are plus 900. Over under is 58. Auburn, a seven and a half point road favorite against South Carolina. Tigers are minus 300 on the money line. Gamecocks are plus 250. Over under is 45. Oregon, three and a half point dog on the road against Utah. The Utes are minus 160 on the money line. Ducks are plus 140. Over under is 59. A couple on the pros. How about the Bengals at the Raiders? Cincinnati favored by just a point. The over under is 50 and a hook. Cowboys are at the Chiefs. Kansas City, a home two and a half point favorite. They are minus 140 money line plus 120 for Dallas. Over under is 56 and a half. Let's give you a chance to earn some extra money when you sign up with BetUS. How about the promo code SST125? With this promo code, BetUS giving you a 125% sign-up bonus. For example, that first deposit, $100, you're getting $125 extra. You're using cryptocurrency, pretty popular nowadays. How about enter the promo code SST200? When you do this, you get a 200% sign-up bonus on crypto deposits. So if that first deposit is $100, you're getting $200 extra. Let's look at some of the odds brought to you by BetUS, America's favorite sports book, for over 25 years. college football talk with the king of college football it's the chuck oliver show on southern sports today got a buddy of mine from central south carolina which is in the northwest corner of the state from central south carolina i think it was like the midway point of a railroad line at one point but uh and he's a south carolina grad and i got a text from him last saturday afternoon it was it literally it was two words Explain this. And I was pretty certain I knew what he was talking about. A week after going for dang near 300 on the ground against Florida and holding the Gators to less, I think, 80 yards rushing, Tyler Beatty went north to 200 himself, and South Carolina could not move the ball on the ground against a Missouri defense that had been horrid against literally every rushing attack that was – in in any way a competitive bunch. South Carolina went for 57 yards rushing. And the Mayor's Cup. Did y'all know? Dan, did you know there's a trophy on the line? I did not. At Mayor's Cup. It stays in Como. Want to welcome on right now? 1075 the game in Columbia, South Carolina. It is Heath Klein. Heath, do you, do you know about the Mayor's Cup? Uh, I do. It's it's definitely one of the very valued trophies in the uh, long, long and sacred history of South Carolina rivalry trophies. And uh, it could have been the Mayo Cup. They could have just had a, a thing of mayo for people to dip their stuff into, and it would have meant about as much. Can you – let me take this. I was going to say, can you explain to my friend from Central South Carolina what happened last week? But 
I, I have to imagine watching that game, you were having a pretty similar thought about this is the exact same team that looked like 85 Oklahoma a week ago, and they can't get anything done against this bunch? Yeah, it really was ridiculous. And what's strange, Chuck, is if you watch, they got up 7 nothing, and then they had the ball at the 16-yard line yep. with a chance to go up 14-zip. And the line has been the issue for South Carolina all year long. Consistently, they have just not been effective. They have a play from the 16. The left tackle does not lay a hand on the guy. I mean, now we're not even talking bump like you're getting on a, a, a subway or something. Doesn't even bother to jostle him a little bit. And he is so quickly into the backfield that he's almost ready to take the handoff himself on an exchange between a tailback and Marshawn Lloyd, who hasn't played much, and a quarterback who's only in his second game starting. So yeah, the chemistry is not perfect. You just completely blow it and let him get in the back field leads to the ball being fumbled Missouri gets the ball and everything changed after that the first two drives they were effective they never were reliably effective again they went away from some of the play calling they've been working on the first two drives it's inexplicable it's inexcusable this team you can't emphasize enough how bad Missouri had been 470 yards a game defensively allowed 250 total to South Carolina they had been allowing more than that on the ground than South Carolina Statistically, that performance, that 57-yard performance, Chuck, they took the 129th-ranked rushing defense and made it into the statistical equivalent of Wisconsin, the number one rushing defense. That is inexcusable. Uh, Zaquandre White, and I mean this, good for him for finally getting his day. There are so many like high school studs that their whole career comes and goes and they never get their day. Good for him, whatever. Kevin Harris, good for and I'm, I'm not being dismissive. I'm saying Kevin Harris, he kind of had his day last year. He led the SEC in rushing. Um Marshawn Lloyd is supposed to be the future. Uh, as we wrap up his second season as a South Carolina Gamecock, uh, first on the field, w- w- give me the lowdown. Like, drill down on this kid. What is he as a player, and 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 what's his fit into this program going forward? Well, we, we haven't really seen a lot of it yet. He took the brace off. He, remember, he tore his knee. He took the brace off two games ago, and against Florida had some moments, and he had some moments in that game, too, although then, again, after the second drive, nobody had any more moments after that. But yeah, he had some moments. I, I think we're not going to really know what he is until next year. And, and look, he may be one of those kids that either was, was overhyped or, or had any injury and just never quite – came back as the same level of, of cutter or, or speed guy. You know, some guys, it just it seems like they lose just a little bit, and it's enough to be a real difference maker as to what kind of player they are. But he has seemed to be one of those guys who's taken a little more time to get used to the level of the game and be doing it at the same time as you have an ACL injury. I, I think we'll know a lot more next year, wherever he is. If he's not in South Carolina, you never know. Kids may change their mind. But wherever he is as a player, I think next year we'll know a lot more about him. Uh, while we're still on offense, Jason Brown, it's not often you talk about a redshirt senior and say, so what about him next year? And, and we're not talking about the Vikings or Jets or Bears. Um, what do you see in Jason Brown now that he's kind of last man standing? Yeah, I mean, last week you knew that there were going to be some traits he showed from the first game that a team that they added on tape was going to attack. And one of the first things he's got to change, his signature move to try and get out of trouble is this loop around from the pocket. He basically almost turns his back completely to the the defense and loops back around to the left. Teams are going to play him for that now and he acknowledged, yeah, you know, I have to I have to fix that. So that's the question this week. The the physical talent is there. Good enough arm can move in the pocket. He's not a runner per se, but certainly can move around in the pocket, get you some yards if you need him to, uh, if there's an opportunity there. But now that teams have some tape 
what things do they attack, and, and can he successfully counterpunch that? And that's where Derek Mason, getting to go against Auburn this week, I'm, I'm interested to see, pretty respected defensive mind there, what kind of things does he try to hit him with? I know there was a lot of criticism about the idea last week that they, they didn't rush enough in the second half, mm-hmm. that they were going three-man rush against Mississippi State. Call me crazy, I do not think that we're going to see a lot of three-man rush on Jason Brown this week. So I'm interested to see what Derek Mason does to him. All right, uh, flipping around to defense, uh, they don't sack the quarterback a whole lot. Um, they don't recover a whole lot of fumbles. Man, they get a lot of interceptions. Uh, is is that just the flukish nature of maybe who the opponent's quarterback has been on a on a random Saturday? Uh, maybe sometimes, but it, they they do seem to have some guys who have a knack for making plays on the ball. And uh, Jalen Foster, in particular, the safety has been a guy who's had a year like that. The defensive line is the thing I think it's been a little bit of a disappointment, Chuck. And, and, you know, this week we'll see what it looks like against T.J. Finley. I would imagine Auburn's going to try and establish the run because, as you mentioned, the defense last week was instead of trying to tackle Tyler Beatty, they, they were coming up to him like they're trying to give him a warm hug at a Thanksgiving dinner, and that's not the way you get Tyler Beatty on the ground. So I'm sure Auburn's going to try and protect the quarterback, get the run going, reduce the number of times that the D can try and tee off on him. But you know, this D-line was supposed to be the cornerstone of the team they've been all right but they haven't been special and i think the belief was this year this unit could be special they have not been special and they really need in the next couple of weeks for them to find that next level to get special because they they desperately want and need to win one of these next two games to get to a bowl get that extra practice time have that positive momentum coming out of the shane beamer year one and to do that you're going to have to get more out of the d-line because the linebackers just they are what they are you're not going to get much more so you have to get more from the d-line if you're counting on linebackers to make plays you're screwed i've always said you know nothing you go on the road in a conference nothing's going to be quote easy um even go to nashville you still got to play um so i can't say you know last week missouri missed opportunity but by golly that was a missed opportunity you just mentioned it there there's a shot at a 13th game and i don't think that the clemson game will come into play um, so tomorrow is it. Uh, what about the home crowd? What's it going to look like at kickoff? I don't really know. That's the thing. I saw, I got a, the more, I saw tickets for $19 this morning. Yeah, I mean, it, the, the fans this year have just not been into it. I mean, even the Florida game. I mean, if you look at it, there were a lot of open seats in the start of that game. I and mean, people just, whatever, the, well, you, you call it the new car smell or whatever for a head coaching hire, People seem to still like Shane Beamer, but the the struggles on offense just seem to have soured a lot of people on this season, and, and I'm not sure you're going to get them back this week. Now, Clemson game, place will be packed. Now, whether it'll be plaque, packed with people in, in Garnet or, or in Orange, we'll have to see about that, but it'll be packed for that game. This game, yeah, you tell me that, hey, night game, a uh, little cool, but not horrible conditions. People decided to show up in big numbers. I could buy it that people get into it on Saturday, but you could also sell me that people say, you know what? A lot of post-game traffic. I don't feel like getting home at 1 a.m. to Charleston or Myrtle Beach or wherever. I think I'll just watch this sucker on TV. You could definitely sell me that, too. It has not been an imposing year for the crowd at Williams-Price, and and so it's it's just hard to get a handle on. I will push back on one thing, though, Chuck. Clemson, I, I don't think it's out of the question. Clemson has more talent than them. There's no question. But the number of injuries that offense has suffered from an offense that was struggling all year anyway. Oh, I mean, look, yeah. it, it, it might be a blackjack game. Neither team can break 21. But 
But just because Clemson is so beaten up, I can't rule out that South Carolina might have a shot in that game. When when you are that bad on, when you don't run away from anybody, you're right, a tip pass, a block punt, a bad call, um, any of that. Continue. When you're going to score 24 points, you keep every opponent in the game. I absolutely agree with that. Uh, one final thing. Uh, is the the freshman, uh, is it Colton Gauthier, is he – He's in play for the final couple of weeks because he's only he had a couple of snaps in the opener, but but he could play, correct? Right. So if it, if it was a situation where you know, let's say Jason Brown unexpectedly got injured, uh, Zeb Nolan would be the guy we'd expect to come on the field. But if things go poorly, it's fourth quarter and the game's out of reach, and you just want to get him some reps. Yeah, I would imagine they would probably try to take advantage of that. If they didn't think there was a point to Brown playing anymore that day, then I would think that at this stage he'd be the guy that would be coming in there. Heath, I always appreciate it, man. Uh, where is the – and for people who don't know, Heath and his wife are, I don't know, world travelers, but y'all are United States travelers. Uh, what about Christmas time, holidays, December, anything planned coming up? Uh, I got to find out if there's a bowl game or not. You know, I might have uh, might have Birmingham on my Christmas destination. <laughs> I can never know. But we're going to do something fun always. Uh, visit Buffalo most recently. So uh, Buffalo, New York for a Bills game. You just never know. There's always somewhere fun to go. I don't know, man. You got that Galleria in Hoover. So, uh, Heath, always appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's uh, Chuck. All right, Heath Klein, 107.5, the game. Yeah, I'll get either text from him uh, with recommendations. Hey, the next time you're in St. Paul, uh, okay, I guess, yes, the next time I'm in St. Paul. Hey, next time you're in Wichita, okay, the very next time I'm in Wichita. And they just take off and go somewhere. So um, I was wondering where it was going to – Buffalo, New York. Uh, yeah, that will be the December trip. So South Carolina hosting uh, Auburn on Saturday night. And, I, again, I tried to phrase that in a, in, 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 in a way that reflects what I really understand the possibilities to be, and that's that – I don't think that the Clemson game's really in play. I believe that's how I phrased it. I don't think that's really in play. That's too much for South Carolina. I mean, he he was saying himself, you know, is it any, that Clemson offense, and he, I agree with every word about it, South Carolina's is worse and more unpredictable. And I don't believe that. The, here's the difference. Going into the Missouri game, for instance, Eli Drinkwitz was expecting South Carolina to run the ball. He was surprised. Like, Wait a minute, they didn't run the ball? When you go into a game knowing, all right, they can't run the ball, it, what it allows the D.C. to do, when you know beginning the game they can't move the ball on the ground, it changes everything. When you discover middle of the second quarter, they're not running the ball very well today. You still don't change. Middle of the third quarter, they've got 44 yards. Right. Mm, you still don't change anything. You might get a little more adventurous on like a third and four. I don't like blitzing on third down. Everybody said third down. I send the house third and nine. I'm like, the offense needs a big play to convert. Do you know what you make at least a little more likely with a blitz? A big play. Third third and long is not, they're going to pass blitz. No. They need a big downfield play. So, yes, third and four. All right, well, we can't run the ball, so we're going to have to pass. See, that's when you go. All right, we're going to take a break. We will wrap up on a Friday next. Southern Sports Today and the Chuck Oliver Show. Playing in big games. That's why we come here. And uh, certainly there's a lot of pressure that comes with it, but that's what we want. And all you do is you just focus on preparing at the highest level you possibly can. And that's what we're doing right now. 
is uh, doing a great job with practice, doing a great job with our preparation and focusing on playing Michigan State. Cause this, is why, this is why you come to Ohio State. This is why you want to play here. This is why you want to coach um, is in games like this. From quarterback's coach at BC, he's the man, C-Bus, Ohio State, and he seems real comfortable there. And normally folks don't take the Ohio State – that's Ryan Day. He's the Ohio State head coach. Normally folks don't take the Ohio State job as a stepping stone anywhere. That's where you hope and pray and cross fingers and toes you get to. So he says, I'm not afraid of the expectations here. No, uh, it's Ohio State, and tomorrow they've got a really – they have a really strong opponent. Uh, does a lot of things well in Michigan State, and I think the number's like 20 or so, I think. So that's how they, well, they've been playing on offense. And like last week, I, th- I think the score was 59-31 against Purdue, and they got out early on them. It was like 28-7, and then they were stretching it out. And so Purdue kept slinging it. And I mentioned that on Monday or Tuesday that Aiden McConnell's a pretty good quarterback. And so, and, and Braum knows what he's doing. So they just, they, they keep being Purdue and they keep plugging away. And so at the end of the game, you're like, well, they scored 31. Yeah, they gave up dang near 60. And Purdue's, they're better than Salty or a, or a landmine or a speed bump. No, they're, they're a good team. They're a really good opponent. That depending on where they populate your dance card, that has a lot to do with how beatable the Boilermakers are. That's a good program. really is. It's just they don't have the sort of depth. Their first 20 – most teams in Power 5 at least, the first 22 should kind of look the same. It's depth and how deep into a game, a season, et cetera. So, so that was Ryan Day talking about expectations. Uh, Dan Matthews jumping here in just a couple of minutes. But there was a coach I was talking about – I want to say maybe it was two days ago – about Jeff Collins. Actually, I think it was Tuesday – and Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech, who it, that program's not on a lot of people's radar, but there is a situation there that I have been talking about in terms of Tom Herman or Steve Sarkeesian or a lot of different coaches and situations and universities either retaining or moving on. And when I was talking about Jeff Collins earlier in the week, I was like, there's three different categories that, that he talks about, but the first two, it's almost like he talks about them on par, are recruiting and and my gosh you can't over talk recruiting and outside of the 12 game days yeah recruiting but he talks recruiting he talks culture and then it's about winning games well he's talking a lot more but right now about recruiting and culture because there are more wins in those categories than there are in the third and I heard – there was a conversation that I've heard bouncing around this season when after the Northern Illinois loss, and it kind of looked disappointing, like it may end up this way. And by, they played Notre Dame tomorrow, and they're going to lose. And then they play Georgia a week from tomorrow, and they're going to lose really, really badly. They're going to lose by whatever Kirby chooses for Georgia Tech to lose by. Okay? Um. And so I had heard something when this started kind of going sideways back, I don't know, end of September, maybe maybe a month ago, a month and a half ago. And I've really heard a ramp up over the past week. It's a very close version to the following. The only reason Jeff Collins is still coach is because of his contract. If you aren't aware, Jeff Collins, when he was hired, Todd Stansberry, the AD there, said because of the extreme makeover in systems here, and the very pronounced challenge, even more so than any other coach who gets hired December 7th. I think it's in this skin. This is words of the, the, the AD. 
said I went to our university president, Georgia Tech president, uh, and I said, we need a seven-year contract. Seven, not five or six, seven-year contract because the extreme. Okay, fine, whatever. That contract, part of the structure is that if Jeff Collins is fired at any point before the end of the fourth season, he gets every dollar remaining as if he had coached out the full seven years. So a lot of folks look around and think, okay, and he's averaging, he's averaging $3.3 million per year. After the first four years are complete, his buyout is 2.4 for each remaining season. So at that point, at the end of the fourth season, Georgia Tech can fire Jeff Collins, and it will cost them $3 million less than if they fired him the day before. 100% every dollar that's still outstanding if he's fired before the end of the fourth season, he's only in his third. Thus, the only reason Jeff Collins is still coach is because of his contract. More accurately, could I, could I help? The only reason there isn't more talk about firing Jeff Collins is because of his contract. Okay, that's spot on. Even without Collins' deal being structured so that it would be a financial near impossibility to fire him, see, he almost certainly would be back for season four, and that's a good thing. This isn't making a determination. That contract structure, that clause... All that's doing is eliminating all the conversation around Collins and the Jackets that would then result in, and I guess we'll give him a fourth season. I'm telling you, this clause, it's actually a good thing. Because he's going to finish 3-9, and nine, and you would be bringing him back anyway. With just a few rare exceptions, after only three seasons, there's almost never a full, complete representation of what a program's going to be with a coach. So this contract and what it, to a great extent, prohibits, it's a good thing for Tech. They'd likely be keeping him anyway, and that has removed virtually all talk on at least this one negative front. Dan, what up? I mean, you know, it's also, too, with a situation like Jeff Collins where me and you talked about this off air, and I'll bring it on air now, that the Atlanta Journal-Constitution just ran a story that this is going to be the lowest attendance that Georgia Tech will have had since 1989. Your immediate response was, and the stadium was smaller then. This just goes to show you all the pomp and circumstance, and I'm the life of the party and the Waffle House Cups and everything else. People deep down just say, hey, I don't care if you're boring, just win and actually win in a style that actually looks like it is the traditional game of college football. Say what you want about Paul Johnson, but at least the guy was taking him to Orange Bowls every every once in a while, so you can't replace that. The fan in me is going to come out now as we end the week, and of course, if you're an LSU fan or you are aware of what's happening right now, you saw on Friday that the name Bill O'Brien is popping up on the coaching rumors there. And, Chuck, I cannot say this plainly enough. I'm pretty sure that Scott Woodward is not listening, but if he is, please do not do this. Please do not bring in a man who could not handle a fan when he was coming off the field yelling, you suck at him, and ending up on TMZ for cussing out the fan. Please do not bring in a guy who at the Texans luncheon, after the Astros had just won the World Series and saying, we're still the team in town. Please do not bring in the man who made J.J. Watt hate Houston. Chuck, 
as a guy who had been in Houston from the beginning when J.J. Watt was there, it was almost annoying how much he loved the city. I cannot tell you enough, Scott Woodward, how much of a disaster that would be if you brought that man to Baton Rouge. I've been told, I mean, we talked about this with Landry specifically, but also off air that Doug Marone may be actually the better choice. Remember, I've told him he won at Syracuse. Enough for me. All right, wraps it up for the day and the week. Be back Monday right here on the Chuck Oliver Show.